Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for tuning in to Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN. I'm Randy Bushover. The program highlights local businesses and services in the region. And if there's a local business or service you'd like to hear from, send me an email at randy.bushover at intercom.com. Joining me, Michael Berger with Berger, Berger, and Sobieski, and they are an immigration law firm. Whereabouts are you here in the Buffalo area, by We're the way? We're in Sheridan Drive in Williamsville. And you've been around for how many years now? Too many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, f- about 45 years, practicing so, law. So you've seen any number of things uh, in, in terms of uh, the immigration law field that you have uh, put yourself we, we, in? We've seen the immigration law evolve from a relatively benign uh, practice of law 45 years ago. There was four immigration lawyers in Buffalo to a really uh, profound field of, of the practice of law uh, and the effects on our economy and our community. And uh, certainly there's a, an influx of people from the, the southern border because, as people know, a lot of Western New York farm communities. Uh, but is uh, our location near Canada have any impact on the whole status of the immigration law that you perform? You know, it has some impact. In 19, I think it was in 1989, the NAFTA came into existence. Buffalo was looking for the boom to happen uh, under NAFTA. They were looking for a lot of Canadian companies to set up shop here as the entry point, the gateway into the United States. That never really took place. But what you do have is you have a significant number of Canadians uh, passing through here. But I don't see them taking up roots in Buffalo. So uh, what hope we had under NAFTA has not really taken hold here in, in upstate New York. And I started out by talking about the farm workers, and I definitely want to uh, uh, touch more uh, upon that part of the immigration equation. But I suppose we ought to give people a little background on uh, immigration itself and maybe the roots to citizenship here in this country. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, as we were talking before, everybody's looking at immigration and they're saying, you know, how there, there's pros and cons and how there's certain groups that we want and certain groups that we don't want. And if we look at immigration historically, it's, it's interesting. Um, in the 1860s, there was the massive uh, influx of Irish uh, due to the potato famine, I believe. And the animus against Irish was profound. I mean, the, the Boston community, didn't, which is where most of the Irish went, did not accept them well at all. Again, Boston being a major gateway at the time, you turn into anti-Italian immigration, uh, which culminated in the Sacco Vanzetti trial, where they hung two Italians at anarchists, but it was really a, a factor of anti-Italian immigration. And then in the teens, it was the Walter McLaren Act, uh, which was against the Chinese, who were coming here um, to help build the, the railways. And then in the, 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 the 20s and 30s, it was the Eastern Europeans. And then it, it was relatively benign immigration-wise in my history until about this, the turn of the, the, the century when you started having a major influx of immigration from Central America. And that's been going on. That's the focus of what most people say. But you also hear there's 15 million illegal aliens in the United States. Well, guess what? About 5 million of those are 
people that are not Central American. There are still a whole bunch of people who come here illegally, or there are people who come legally. We miss those people. They come on visitor visas. They get six months to stay here. They don't leave. And they're here for years and years and years. I can tell you I had a doctor who was a very, very prominent ENT making 10 years ago 750000 a year. He was here illegally. And what happened is he came and he stayed, and you have millions of those folks too. They're not all Central Americans, but nobody focuses on those. Um, so immigration and illegality has many different colors and many different flavors. And uh, I guess uh, one of the ways to, to kind of break things down a little bit, um, you ha- if you're born here, basically, you're a U.S. citizen. That is like one of the one main of the f- things, right? One of the few countries in the world where if you're born here, you're a U.S. citizen. If you go into the Middle East, uh, any of the Emirate countries, you'll never get citizenship there even if you're born there. Okay. So now uh, just as a for instance, and again, just for to help out with the background, Say you're coming from one of these Central American or South American countries and you're trying to become a U.S. citizen. What are the steps to that? Long steps. Um, if there, there are two ways of coming into the United States. Non-immigrant visas, which by definition are temporary. Those are things like visitors and students and H-1B, which is uh, professional visas, um, P, which are professionals, your entertainers. All of those have limited time frame, which I talked about before. Then there are immigrant visas, which we refer to as green cards. Those are, are, are divided into family-based. If you marry a U.S. citizen, you can get a green card that way. If you want to sponsor your brother or f- sister, you can get it that way. Those all have limited number of visas. And then you have employment-based. Employment-based is divided into five subcategories based on high professionals and then people with master's degrees and people with a bachelor's or two years experience. And you have to go through a process to show there's no qualified U.S. workers before you can hire one of those folks. And uh, as long as we're talking about the, uh, the, the green cards and uh, the, the family-based, so there's been a lot, uh, especially lately, uh, the, the immigration issue has really uh, had been kind of like uh, one of those front of the stove and really, really on medium hot as opposed to low boil. Uh, and one of the ways that people can come in is or, or get themselves uh, to have someone become a U.S. citizen, they're bringing themselves here, usually a, a pregnant wife, I guess, of a, in a, of a family, to have their kid become a U.S. citizen, but then causing themselves problems because they're not Well, citizens. you know, I'm, it's interesting because you've heard the term anchor baby. Okay. Yes. Anchor babies, I don't, I don't really know what that means because if you come into the country uh, and you have a child here, yes, your child has a claim to U.S. citizenship, not a U.S. citizen until the age of 18, but that child until they're 21 cannot sponsor their parents. So that's an anchor that's got a long, long rope. I mean, 21 years you're going to have to wait before that child can sponsor you. I don't know where that anchor comes from, so I think that's a misnomer for sure. But certainly we do see cases where children are born here, um, and at some point, I'll never see it now in my practice, uh, but they can sponsor their parents ultimately to come here. But they're not only a question of being born here to become U.S. citizens. What if they come here and they get married to a U.S. citizen? They uh, then get a green card, and then three years later they can get citizenship. So their process is only maybe four years, at which time when they're a citizen, they can sponsor their parents to come here and or their, their brothers and their sisters and, and whatever. Those processes are a lot shorter than the 21 years, for sure. And we're hearing a, a lot about the sheer numbers. Is that why it's difficult for 
let's just say again the example we just put out there the parents of these youngers uh is that why they're having so much trouble gaining citizenship you know what you got to look at this as america is a magnet and that's the concept that we have to understand it's a magnet for jobs for a better life and that's when you look at people not only from central america but all over the world they're coming here because america is a great country and it provides a better, in most cases, a better standard of life for people that are coming here. In addition, those people that are coming here send money back home. And those countries back home, like Nicaragua, Guatemala, depend on the money that these people are sending back from their jobs, whether they're legal or not. So it's an interesting situation. Now, in 1986, they had IRCA, uh, Immigration Reform Control Act which was the last time they legalized immigration in the United States, saying if you were here illegally before 1986, you could apply for a pathway to get a green card and citizenship, 1986. In return for which, um, employers were obligated to complete I-9s and suffer severe penalties if they did not. So they were supposed to um, take away the un unlawful employment um, by doing these I-9s and make sure people were legally eligible to work. Well, guess what? The legalization part worked. The I-9 part never worked. They tightened it up in 1996. Guess what? Didn't work. And now, a couple of weeks ago, they started their I-9 investigations again. Um, but they're not announcing it. You'll hear about that soon as a deterrent for people hiring illegal employees. That's, if, they, if they don't have a deterrent against people hiring illegal employees, people are still going to come. Because they're going to, and it's only until they get that deterrent that it's going to help. Now, that brings you to the next problem. The next problem is America has, even though we talk about unemployment, unemployment now is at historical lows. That's great. But a lot of companies, as you know, cannot hire workers. They can't find qualified workers, including farm workers, but also all sorts of industries. So we have an imbalance between a whole bunch of folks that want to come here and get work and companies that cannot hire qualified U.S. workers. And the net effect is our immigration laws are, are broken, okay? There's no reason that we should have hundreds of thousands of people seeking to enter this country illegally. That's our border. We should protect our border. But there's no reason why we can't set up a system to recruit employers, employees where we need them. We'll go into doctors, for example. There is a shortage of over 22,000 doctors uh, in primary care right now, which is expected to grow exponentially as our population grows and our medical schools don't grow you know, to keep up with that. Where do we get these doctors from? We get them from foreign medical graduates. And if you come into upstate New York, a major percentage of the doctors that are practicing here are foreign medical doctors. Does that mean they're, they're not as good as, as, as U.S. educated? In some cases, yes, but in most cases, no, because some of these doctors come here and they're taking the residency programs because there's not qualified U.S. workers for them. So there is an imbalance about immigration laws as to who we need and how we're going to fill those spots. And until Congress gets their act together to say, how are we going to address the fact that farm workers or farmers cannot uh, get qualified workers to, to man their farms, or doctors can't get jobs here, or engineers can't get jobs. That'll take us to the H, H visas. I don't know if you want to, you know. Sure. All right, H visas are non-immigrant visas for professionals. Uh, people have to have a minimum of bachelor's degree to do that. Now, uh, 10, 12 years ago, there used to be about 150 or 60,000 of these H visas available. Congress, uh, about 10 years ago, 
brought that number dramatically down to 65,000, saying they were taking away 100,000 jobs from U.S. workers, which is a pittance for professionals. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So what happens is that we train hundreds of thousands of foreign um, students to come here to get masters and PhDs. 65% um, of the PhDs that are graduating are, are, are foreign students. Why? Because they know they have to get a PhD to get a job here or somewhere else. U.S. students only need to get a master's degree to compete on the, in the market. Now, what happens when those foreign medical foreign uh, students can't get jobs? Two things. One, the companies that need them here in the United States to keep our, our brain drain. In the 1990s, we had a major brain drain into the United States, into it, with that 160,000. What did that cause? That caused a boom in technology in the United States. Silicon Valley boomed in the 1990s. You know, Boston boomed, and all of this brain drain was feeding into the United States growth in, in high tech. Now what do we have? We have an outflow of brain drain. It's in the opposite direction because the very people that we're training are going back. To, they can't get jobs here because they can't get visas. They're going back to China. They're going back to India. And they're creating, uh, you know, companies back there. And what are those companies doing? They're competing with our companies in the United States. Tell me, we're losing jobs to these places abroad because of this inane, archaic immigration law that nobody's paying attention to. And in our esteem of protecting U.S. jobs, we're actually creating a reverse osmosis of jobs leaving. But nobody says that or sees it. They only look at the, the politics of it and, and, and what makes, you know, uh, headlines, I'd say. Interesting points. Now, if someone is in need of your services, what is the best way to contact you? Uh, our phone number is 716-634-6500. Good enough, Michael. Appreciate it. And thanks for spending the time. Oh, my pleasure. Michael Berger with Burger Burger and Sobieski. And this is Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 